From Bregman MD, where we're all about psych solutions, I'm your host, Linda Corley, and this is The Breakdown with Dr. B. Last week, we had a very wonderful, inspirational conversation with Susan Warner. And I invite all of you to go back to our last week's podcast and listen to this amazing story of a year of tragedy. Susan had lost her son and her husband in a relatively short period of time. And, and we talk about that. We talk about overcoming and we talk about moving ahead. But today is going to be part B. And we're going to talk about how she got there. I want to welcome Susan. Thank you so much for coming back and speaking to us. Thank you so much for having me back. This is just a continuation of many, many conversations with you. I, I remember last week you have this wonderful saying about not moving ahead, moving beyond. Correct me. How, how do you say that? Moving forward, not moving on. Explain that. Why, why do you term it that way? Uh, I actually am going to tell you that the phrase was originally coined by a group called Modern Loss, and it was with some very inspirational people who have a theory that loss should be dealt with in a more modern attitude as not being shrouded and, and veiled as it has been in the past. Don't talk about people. They've changed that narrative. So um, moving forward, meaning that you are taking the people with you that you've lost on your shoulder, metaphorically, so that they are a big part of who you are. I am who I am because of the influence of my son, who was 32 when he died, and my husband, who I was married for 38 years, they're such a big part of who I am. I don't want to erase them. I don't want that past to not exist. I want to bring them with me into the next chapter, the next relationship, the next experience. You were married for so many years, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, the last time you dated was what, in the 80s? In the 70s. Oh my gosh. I was married in 1981 at 22. Oh my. Yeah. So you can do the math. (laughs) So, yeah. you know, you, you had Foreigner and, you know, Van Halen on the radio and all of that. Now you, you decide, okay, it's time to date. You open the doors. It's a whole new world out there. Let's address that whole new world. So um, to begin with, um, I, I have two children. So I know the dating process. You know, I, my son who passed away, my daughter is my bright light who's 31 right now. So I've experienced dating single life with my children, advising them, et cetera. And I'm pretty involved in pop culture. So I can't say that some, you know, I lived in a cave and someone opened the doors and it was, you know, 2019. So I, I had a little bit of an idea about, I remember my son once when he was dating on an app, let me swipe for him. Like that was a big phenomenon. I swiped left, swiped right. And anybody who's been on an app knows what that means. But this, the incident and in how this actually occurred was very interesting. Um, a year had gone by, couldn't imagine dating, said no to many, many social events, weddings, bar mitzvahs, celebrations, not because I was supposed to, because I could not function in that atmosphere. I planned on going to a lot of them, accepted, and then didn't go. I finally went to my college roommate's daughter's wedding, and I was really reticent and scared 
And my family was all supporting me. My sister-in-law, who's my, my dear heart, said, call me if you're in a jam, talk to me, I'll talk you through it. Go to cocktails, go back to the hotel, watch Bravo, you don't need to do this. I went with every trepidation, couldn't get my dress zipped, had to call someone in the hallway of the hotel to zip me up, nobody with me. Got there, sat alone at the ceremony, and then got to cocktail hour and knew nobody. I'm in Albany, New York, don't know anybody really. And I thought this is gonna be brutal. Someone calls out my name, called me Susie, which I haven't been called since college. It was my roommate's friend, embraced me, sat with me, talked to me. We had such a wonderful time, it was extraordinary. The night turned exactly the opposite way I thought it would. So in this journey, a lot of things don't go the way you anticipate. And that's a good thing. So for all the trepidation and all the worry and all the fright, sometimes just one thing clicks and it becomes a whole different experience. Dr. B, what are you hearing? What are you thinking about this uh, in terms of the advice that you give to a lot of your patients who've been through a loss? How do you coach them? Oh, Susan, I really like your philosophy about moving forward. You know, the people that you lost would really want you to be happy. Okay, and that's really what I deal with all the patients is that you know, these people loved you. If you dated, they want you to be happy. And I just talk about that all the time. It really makes sense. You know, I'm snickering here and giggling a little bit because my husband and I had a, a really extraordinary marriage in, in my eyes, and I believe in his. And he was a jealous sort. Not, not jealous um, uncomfortably. He was very possessive of me emotionally in a good way. And I laugh now when I say, oh, Michael would want me dating. Like, no way. <laughs> like, but he'd want you to be happy. Yes, yes. Okay. I'm going to qualify that 100%. You know, look, whatever happened, he, he was a little jealous because, you know, you're a dynamite lady. And he never knew this was going to happen, but all he wanted, and you know, because you know him, he wanted you always to be happy. And your son too, you know, and honestly, if we would spend a lot of time together, that's what we would talk about and dispel any myths you have. You know, although he's jealous, big deal, he still would want you to be happy. I'll go a step further on that and tell you that, and this is a question I'm asked often is, do I have guilt? No. No, never had guilt being with another man, never had guilt going on a date, never had guilt having relationships with other men physically. No, I have no guilt. So yes, I guess I do subscribe to that. Yeah, Linda, you know, what Susan said is no guilt means that Susan sincerely feels, you know, that Michael would be happy. She's happy. That's it. Okay. And she's living that way. And, you know, a lot of people... In, in Susan's situation that I deal with in therapy, they do feel guilty. And, you know, I think you've come a long way on that. And that's really important. Okay. I want to get into the fun stuff. Right. I want to find out what was it like on a first date? What were some of the fun things? What were like disaster stuff? Okay. So <laughs> I've, I've always liked to date. I always thought dating was um, meeting new people was fun. I always thought that the dating process was fun. A lot of people don't, but I do. So um, I, my daughter put me on the apps. 
I will tell you that she told me that it was good. Her doctor said it was good for her when it was all about me. And she helped me set up a profile and I did it and I clicked it. And then there's this whole world out there that you don't know about cues that you've never heard about. So you text, you talk, you talk on the site, you text, and then they ask for your phone number. And it's like, you hear the orchestra swelling. It's like, do you really want to make that interpersonal push? And you do, you have to, you know, you can't text forever and you chat, you chit chat, you talk, and then they ask for the dreaded FaceTime and then <laughs> actually have to show what you look like. Now they've seen all these pictures of you. You've seen all these pictures of them. A lot of people are not truthful in their pictures. You know, I don't get to see women's profiles. I got to see men's profiles and, you know, I'm 62 and the, and then that you meet them and, and you, they do the math. People tend to lie in a decade because they can do the math fast. You know, I graduated from high school in 75. Well, I can say 85 because I can do that. People <laughs> yeah. won't say like six years because they have to think about it. <laughs> so first dates, you know, you have a repertoire just like you did when you were younger. Um, you talk about, you talk about kids, you talk about, they often talk about ex-wives. I, my first date, we went to the Lincoln at Lincoln Center and he talked for two hours about his celebrity ex-wife. Two hours. I wanted to like go to the bathroom and just leave my coat there because I don't think he really needed me there. He just needed something (laughs) in the chair. And and then when he was done talking about his celebrity ex-wife, he talked about the seven-year-old child he has by a woman that he didn't marry that's a syndrome of men that they, these women end up getting pregnant and they have these children that they need like stepmothers for. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it it like straddles grandchild child. And I, I encountered a lot of men like that, that had six, seven year old children that they really like a really nice, compassionate woman to help on the weekends. I know Dr. B has some questions, but I, I want to know about your rules. What are the Susan rules that you kind of adhere to when, like for a first date or? That's a real, that's a good general. You know, I'm going to always say, trust your instincts. Just like in business, when I have a client that's, that's giving me a really hard time up front, I know I shouldn't take them. Same thing with men. You start like getting your fur up because they make a misogynistic statement or a statement that really goes against your politics or goes against your integrity or your sensibility. Walk away. It's not going to get better. You know, in those first few conversations, if you have that sort of connection, it's really apparent. And and it's funny because, you know, some women and men, in this end of dating are sexually active and some aren't. And I've often said to men, like, how do you, how do you like filter that? And there's a whole lot of nuances in conversation and, and jokes that have double entendres, you know what you're getting into. So I would say, follow your instincts. They're usually right. Dr. B, what do you think about that? Uh, First of all, I love that follow the instincts thing. Okay. And women are great at assessing feelings. Women are far uh, out with the men when it comes to feelings. One thing that I think Susan said is so important is you have to have fun with people. Okay. And that's what I talk about all the time. If people talk to me about their first date or whatever, 
I just want to know the experience was fun. Uh, that is very, very important. And Susan talked a lot about that. I asked women, like Susan described, oh, how was the first date? Okay. You know, you know, I like to hear the guy wanted to listen to her, what her life's about or what's going on with her. And, and she walked away with it, you know, feeling, you know, this guy like really listened to me. You know, I really uh, uh, respected that. And I want to know even more about him. Are people moving towards you? Are you moving towards them? Or are we kind of like just standing, you know, and looking at each other? You know, there's been whole therapies associated with just that concept, you know, of moving towards, away, standing still, okay? Then I'm telling you there's this thing about the lying. Okay, Susan really hit on that. I mean, it's a game. You know, if you know, I was around the 70s too, and so were you, Linda, okay? And we know it's a game, okay? And if you get good at it, you find out, you know, what's how it's going to be good for you uh, you know and i think susan has had a lot of good past experiences now she somehow was single or so before her husband so early on she had experiences of dating you know that uh, sometimes a lot of people in their 60s you know that was they lost their first love or something it's much more difficult for those kinds of individuals but people like susan you know, who have had some experience and she's very psychologically minded, they really have the best results. So if I look at my crystal ball, I think Susan is destined to find the love of her life again and everybody be happy for her. Well, I want to just jump in because I remember, Susan, something that you said that although you had the dream marriage, you're not looking to replicate your husband to find his twin. And that's good for some people. And I mm -hmm. will be the last person to judge who needs what and what's good for whom. Um, for me, I've spent three years since my husband's death, really working hard on me, self-actualization, understanding what makes me happy. I tell the story that one day when I was not happy, my very insightful daughter said to me, can you be happy? What makes you happy? It might as well have taken the worst slap in the face I've ever gotten. Because I said, wow, can I be happy? I never thought to ask that. And then I went to work and it was doing things on my bucket list, finding things that made me happy, learning how to be alone, learning to be self-fulfilled. For me, that was really, really important. There are women that want to jump right back into a relationship and replicate what they had and good for them if that's good for them. But when I had um, such an extraordinary marriage to an extraordinary man, I don't find it necessary to replicate it. And I think it's unrealistic and probably dangerous to try. So I'm looking for new experiences, things that I didn't do before, ways of living. You know, I've said to, I'm in a relationship right now and um, marriage, we're fond of each other. I don't know. You know, never say never, never say always is, a, is something I live by. But I love my time alone. I love my time with him. I love my time with my friends. I've learned a balance that I think is healthier for me. But 
what the, the big thing is people need to find what's good for them. There is no formula on this because for me, not replicating is where I want to go. And, and again, working really hard to get there and not wanting to wipe that out for somebody else. If that's what they're most comfortable in, then they should go for it. Everybody's got to do what works for them, but this is the time that you get the mulligan, the do-over, the reinvention, that you can do things. And, and I've, I've said this in my writing, find out how another man looks at you, talks to you, touches you, makes love to you. Whoever thought on this journey where you figured you'd be with your husband until you're in your 80s and, and your sex life does wane and friendships ensue, that you can actually experiment and be different and self-actualize in so many ways. And that's the excitement here to me and the excitement that I think people in this situation should embrace, that you can make choices and you, you know, you can ride a horse, you can, you know, trot down Broadway, you can do whatever you want because it's your choice. And, and I think in your sixties, that's a very exciting place to be. I love it. Dr. B, anything to add? Susan, you keep this going. You know, I'm really happy for you. You got it right. Yeah. And thank you. Great advice. I'd really like to talk to you again. Right, Dr. B? We got got more chapters in this. Okay, good. Let's do it. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye now. From Bregman, MD, you've been listening to the latest episode of The Breakdown with Dr. B. If you'd like more information or to speak to one of our top psychiatrists, just head to our website at BregmanMD.com to book a telepsychiatry visit from the comfort of your home. Hope you've enjoyed our latest podcast. Catch you next time.